Have you ever felt like your life has been completely out of control? Anyone? You ever been troubled with uh, things that you worry about in life? Have you ever had uh, anxiousness because of you don't know what's going to happen next? Anyone ever been afraid before? Yes, no? Maybe some of you would say, I've been so troubled to the point that I actually doubted God's power. Emotions are real. Thoughts and feelings, they're real. It doesn't mean they're always correct. But we have those, the way that God has created us. Maybe some of you come to the point or you've heard people before declare, God, if you are all-powerful, why have you not shown up and done this? Or God, why didn't you do this? If you say, your word says you're all-powerful, why not? God, my child died of cancer. Where were you? I lost all my savings to fraud. God, why didn't you protect me in that? God, if you're all-powerful, then what are you doing to save all the persecuted Christians in Afghanistan or whatever country you want to say that are threatened with losing their life? God, where are you if you're all-powerful? I won't ask you, say out loud or raise your hand if you've thought those things before, but I would say that many of us at times in our life do doubt God, which is incorrect, but it's a reality of being a fallen person. We have started a couple weeks ago looking at the attributes of God, who He is, and we saw two weeks ago that God is infinite, that He has no bounds. We are finite. He is infinite, and we saw that in every attribute that we look describing who He is from His Word, He's infinite in. So last week, as we saw God's holiness, He's infinitely holy. There is no darkness in Him. There is no wickedness. There is no sin in Him. He is set apart from sin. He is perfect in holiness and therefore infinitely holy. My prayer has been the last couple of weeks for you and for myself that the more that we look at the attributes of God, the more that the Holy Spirit would give us peace in life, would take away our fears, our worries uh, about trouble in life, and that we would see God for who He is in all of His glory, in all of His splendor, and that we would um, be blessed to know those wonderful truths. As we look at today, God being omnipotent, meaning that He's all-powerful, we understand that God is able to fulfill all of His holy will and all of His wonderful promises to his people. I was asked yesterday why I always call it the big idea. And I'm like, you know what? I've changed because I used to call it a proposition and it was a challenge. And I thought about it last night and this morning. I'm like, okay, I got to take the big idea title out of it because it's not an idea. We're talking about biblical truths. So I don't know what I'll call it next week. We'll just say, hey, here's a biblical truth today. God's omnipotence teaches us that he is in control of all circumstances, which provides assurance comfort and peace to his people. Last week we were in Isaiah chapter 40 and this week we turn to the right of Isaiah and we look to another prophet named Jeremiah and we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 32 and as you turn there you need to understand what's happening uh, in this passage that Jeremiah, a prophet of God, um, has already declared in Jerusalem and to King Zedekiah what God gave him in that Jerusalem would be sacked, that, the, that Judah would be going into captivity, that the Babylonians would come in, and that uh, so the king didn't like that. So he imprisoned Jeremiah in the city, and while he's in the city, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, you know what, I want you to buy some land. And we'll read here, Jeremiah going, wait, everything's going to be taken over. Why would you have me do that now? In verse 16, a relative of him had come to him to sell him some land, and he purchased it. And now let us see his prayer in verse 17 on through verse 27. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them, O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. 
great in counsel, mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of the sword and famine and pestilence of the city, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass. And behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The word of God. Again, Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. As we look at this text this morning, we begin in verse 17 with Jeremiah's prayer. And the statement is, nothing is too hard for you. He says, ah, Lord God. He's praying, and uh, I would encourage you, if you want to join us this evening, we are learning about prayer and how Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, and we will be going through a, another part of the Lord's Prayer tonight. But he prays, he declares that Lord is God, and he says, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. When you read through the Old Testament, a number of times, God's power and might is described as his right outstretched arm. Now, we can understand that in some sense because if your arm is strong, you can do certain things with that. And if it's weak, you're going to have trouble with that. But God, who is spirit, doesn't have this physical arm. Jesus Christ has a physical arm. But what you have, though, is something to help us understand God's power when he acts is this picture of a strong right arm moving. And we see that in Israel's history and God's work. The definition of omnipotence as we look at this attribute of God this week is this. God is able to do all His holy will. If you break down the word in Latin, it means all-powerful. That God can do and does do anything and everything that is within His character, or if you want to say His attributes as we are studying I want to go through a few passages of Scripture. I want to look at six ways that we see uh, God's power uh, being displayed. This is just six of them. And so turn to the very first book of the Bible, the first chapter, the first book. Anyone know the name of that book? Genesis chapter 1. If you have not read Genesis, you need to read Genesis. Genesis 1 verses 1 through 3. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. We see God's omnipotence in creation. Continue reading on verse after verse. God not only says, let there be light, but let there be the stars in the heaven. Let the planets be here, the stars be here. The fact that Scripture tells us that God put them in their place and He knows the name of everyone. I don't care how many more stars the Hubble Space whatever finds, telescope, God knows them all. Before they even have a name and we try to name them, God has named them. He made the mountains rise up. The valleys go low. He said, water, go only to here. He gave life and breath to animals and beasts and birds. And then he created man. And you read in Genesis chapter 2, 
that he created man and gave him a body out of the dust of the earth and he breathed a soul into him. And he gave Adam a woman. God spoke these things. And they happened. You could argue with me after church another day, science stuff, all those things. God spoke the world into existence. God's holy word says so. I therefore believe it. At the end of the creation, he says it was very good. It was all good. This is before sin enters in, but we see God in his power speaking the universe into existence. Isaiah chapter 55, read that this week. It teaches us that when God speaks, all of creation obeys. That that, that creation hears what God says to do and creation obeys. So God is omnipotent in creation. Turn to Hebrews, the far right side of the Bible now, the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1. If you've not read Hebrews, you need to read Hebrews. Maybe I tell you every week, you need to read every single text that I bring up to you. Read the Bible. It's the truths of God here. Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of Jesus Christ, verse 3, it says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That not only God speaks the universe into existence, but Hebrews teaches us that Jesus holds it all together. And if there's anything that would become unraveled, it's because he says so. And he does not let the universe become unraveled. And so we have worries and fears of all kinds of things, from global warming to nuclear war to whatever the trouble is. Our world says someday we're just going to all be destroyed. That's why we need to go to Mars. I mean, really, we, our world believes that. Even though we're in a fallen world, Scripture has taught us that one day God will burn up this world. He will create a new heavens and a new earth, just like he did when he said, let there be light. And we look forward to that day. But the only thing that will happen in this world is what God allows. And so scripture guards of those things. Now that doesn't mean you just live reckless with what God has entrusted to you. You take care of what God has given you and you uh, steward it well, but you take confidence and assurance and peace in the fact that nothing happens outside of the power of God. In a couple weeks, we'll circle back to this and we'll focus in on this word sovereignty and God's sovereignty over all things, his power displayed over all of these things. But God is omnipotent, not only in creation, but his power is seen in how he preserves and protects his creation. So even though we live in a fallen world, you can read Genesis chapter 6 and you can read about the flood that literally happened in this world. And so we live in a fallen world that is decaying and it is falling apart, but God still cares for his creation, something we call providence, in which God cares for and preserves his creation and his people. And those who are not his people even benefit from God's grace in that. Turn to Romans chapter 13, to the left of Hebrews there. Romans chapter 13, a third area that we see God's power, his omnipotence is in government. Some of you are like, oh no, are we going to get political? No, we're going to read God's word. Nothing political about Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Romans 13, 1 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We don't like that, Right? Everyone's silent. (laughs) Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So from your mayors 
to uh, in your city, your city council, to your, your state leadership and representatives and senators, to your presidents, to your kings and leaders and armies and everyone in this world, to every end of it, is only put in place when God says so. But we struggle with that. I don't like this leader. I think that guy is so ungodly. She is, you know, God, what in the world are you thinking? Yet when you read God's word like the book of Romans, we can have great understanding why God, even in the midst of trouble and the things in this world, will use sin for his glory. And that all things, according to his will, happens because he says so. Turn to Psalm, right in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, chapter 2. Psalms, chapter 2. You need to read the book of Psalms. Read it every single day. The book of Psalms are so wonderful for us to be, I don't know, wake up in the morning and read a psalm. Read about just uh, God, our, our, our glorious, wonderful Savior and Lord. Read of the wonderful things he has done. It's like a worship book for you to just praise God when you read the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says this, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In this text and a couple other I'll read to you, we see God's power, his omnipotence in judgment. We don't like judgment. One, don't judge me, right? But we really don't want to face the judgment of God. But you need to see God's power in judgment. That God does judge because, as we'll see another week, a few weeks from now, he's perfectly just. And if he's infinitely and perfectly in his holiness, and he's infinitely and perfectly in his justice, then he must judge sinfulness. And there in Psalm 2, it says, Serve the Lord, rejoice. It says, with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do you come before a holy God who is just and perfect and all-powerful with trembling and with a humble heart? It says there at the end of verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you read in James chapter 4, it tells us in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And we saw this uh, over a year ago in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus was speaking. He says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And the reason we can be fair is because in his power, it is in his judgment. eternal judgment, the wrath of God, hell for eternity. And as the psalmist said, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. God's people are blessed because they are saved. And God, it's not a thing of God holding back his judgment because he does judge. And so with this, you need to understand that God is omnipotent in judgment, but he's also omnipotent and all-powerful in salvation. Turn to the second last book of the Bible. It's probably one page in your Bible, unless like mine, I've had to go to this large print so I don't have to use glasses, and like Jude is like in two pages instead of one. The book of Jude, there's one chapter, verse 24 and 25. It says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, 
dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Did you see the key word in verse 24? Now to him who is what? Able. Not only to keep you from stumbling, but to present his people blameless before our Heavenly Father. He's powerful in salvation. But we then have to ask the question, how does God do this? Because we can just say, God, you're powerful over salvation. You're all powerful in the way that you save people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But it forces you and I to ask the question, how is this possible? Well, again, we have the word of God. In Jude 24 and 25, which says he's able to do this work. Well, how is he able to do this work? God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, these attributes that we've been describing, his attributes. And he adds humanity to himself. Fully God, fully man. Perfect life, never sinned. I mean, can you imagine that? Never even a sinful thought. Never sinned. And therefore, when Jesus Christ was in the garden, the night that he's praying to the Father three times, Father, take this away from me if, if possible, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus Christ obediently goes to the cross. And even in his words about his power, Jesus says, I have the power to lay down my life and the power to take it up again. And Jesus Christ gave up his life on the cross. And when he was on the cross, he was made sin. He was made your sin. And there God the Father poured out his wrath of judgment on his son that was meant for you. And the blood shed by Christ was offered so that his people would be forgiven of their sins. The power of God to save. And not only the power of God to save, I would add this. We see God's omnipotence in the resurrection. Because it's wonderful to be forgiven, right? Set free of our sins by the blood of Christ through faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work. But if Jesus Christ was still in the grave, you would still die. And you'd be dead. There's no uh, resurrection from death to life. And therefore, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Read the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, glorious book to help us understand God's work of salvation. His grace upon His people. What He calls us and how to live by, to walk in wisdom, to walk according to His ways, how to battle the enemy. So much in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, it says this in verses 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? So there you have again the infinitude of God and His power. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. As the Apostle Paul speaks in other places, that the power to raise Christ from death to life is the same power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you if you are a believer, a follower of Christ. So to think that the power of God raising the Son from death to life, that power resides in God's people today. God is all-powerful in salvation and in the resurrection. Therefore, one day, all who are in Christ, as we were singing just a few minutes ago, we can't wait for the return of Christ. You will one day, as a believer, a child of God, have a glorified body. No more sin. Amen. That's aside from the fact of having a perfect body and being with Jesus forever, the wonderful inheritance that we have. And so we just went through this. God is all-powerful in creation. 
that he's all-powerful in preserving and protecting his creation. He's all-powerful over all the governments of the world. He's all-powerful in his judgment. He's all-powerful in salvation and the resurrection and all these things. And we could go on and on, and you think, well, these are huge, big things. They are. But do you know that God's all-powerful over the little, tiny things? Matthew 10, I've been praying, maybe that's where we go in a couple weeks ago when we look at God's sovereignty and the fact that not a sparrow falls to the ground dead without God knowing or allowing it. I mean, we could go on talk about all the details of, I don't know, how many hairs on our head to every, it just goes on and on. And I'll get kind of sidetracked. So let's go back to Jeremiah. God's in complete control of every single thing. In verses 18 through 23, in his prayer, here's what we look at. He says, you have shown your power. This is the second point on your, if you're taking notes there. In verses 18 through 23, Jeremiah declares that God has shown his power. And what he does is something that we see numerous times in the Old Testament. We, either the prophets, they're, they're declaring how God has done a wonderful work to protect uh, to provide or even to create the nation of Israel. And, and they recap the history of what God has done for them. And Jeremiah, look at this in verses 18 19, he acknowledges what we're studying, God's attributes. He points out God's love and mercy in verse 18. He acknowledges God's attributes of justice, which we were just looking at, and one who judges rightly in verse 18. In verse 19, Jeremiah acknowledges God's attribute of knowledge. Next week, we're going to look at God's omniscience. Everything that he knows will be in Romans chapter 11 next week. Read 33 through 36. But he acknowledges these things, these attributes of who God is. And I think I said it the first week and something that God's teaching me about his attributes is I believe that uh, many years of my Christian life, I've seen God's attributes as like separated for some reason. Maybe it's because they say guys think in boxes or whatever, but you know, God's, you know, uh, he's holy and he's omnipresent and, and all these, it's like, no, all of these attributes of God are just God and they're one and they're infinite. And so he acknowledges God's knowledge and his, again, his justice who judges rightly in verse 19. And then if you look at what this, I want us to look at verses 20 here. Those attributes which he declares then are seen in him recapping what God did powerfully in Israel's history. If you have not read Exodus, read Exodus, and you need to know that what happened when the nation of Israel was in captivity under Pharaoh, what happened was they were there in captivity, and God sends Moses and calls him. He sends him over there, and he's going to lead them out of captivity and slavery to Egypt. And what God does is look at Jeremiah here, verse 20 and 21. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel. And among all mankind, and have made a name for yourself as at this day, you brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders. Here it is again, with a strong and outstretched arm and with great terror. <clears throat> so if you go and read the Exodus, God not only sends Moses, Pharaoh, let my people go, is what God says. He says, no. And so God sends plagues. He turns the great Nile River water to what? To blood. And then on top of that, he then sends a plague of frogs. And in that passage, I love the description because it's this picture of not, not only in their homes, it's like the frogs are jumping on them. Some of you don't like frogs. He sends gnats. I mean, swarms of gnats just covering your face. I mean, across the land. On top of that, he sends a plague of flies. Disease, then, which kills cattle and sheep. Imagine having boils all over your body. A plague sent upon the people of Egypt. 
hail that he sent, huge hailstones, fire mixed with it, thunder that happened upon the land. On top of that, he sends a plague of locusts, which decimates everything that is green, a plague of darkness where people can't see for a few days that they can't even leave their house because it's so dark and it's a heavy darkness coming to the point of this death of all the firstborn of man and animal who does not have the blood of the lamb over the door post of their home. God did those things and it brought terror to other nations who heard these things as the nation of Israel wandered through the wilderness and entered into the promised land. People feared and trembled because they heard of the mighty outstretched hand of God. Jeremiah says, Lord, we've seen your power. You've done all these things. Oh, and also, you split the Red Sea in two, that people didn't walk through mud, but through dry ground to the other side. And when uh, Pharaoh and his armies enter in, you crushed them and destroyed them and drowned them in the Red Sea. The mighty, powerful works of God. Can you make this stuff up? Not at all. Look at verse 22. You gave them this land. You swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. God fulfills all of his holy will. So when he made the promise to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you an offspring. I'm going to give you this promised land. God fulfilled that and sent his people into the land. And they took the land just as he promised. Even after their disobedience and wandering in the desert. But again... We're looking at this definition of God's omnipotence is that God is able to do all his holy will. He has promised and he will fulfill every single one of them by his power. Look at verse 23. They entered the land, took possession of it, but they did not what? What's the key word? They did not obey. When you read Israel's history, it's like this circle that goes round and round. And it's always this point of worshiping God, following Him, disobeying, worshiping idols. Trouble that God sends, them finally repenting and turning and God restoring this circle over and over and over. And it, it sometimes gets wearisome to even read and to know that God breaks that cycle for His people through the blood of Jesus Christ is glorious. But Jeremiah here, he admits that Israel is loved by God. God's shown them, uh, he's shown them his mercy, but they've disbelieved and they've rebelled against God. And that rebellion is seen in their idol worship. And so God had promised and said, if you break this covenant, if you disobey uh, and you do not worship me, then I will send disaster upon you. God told them that. Jeremiah is acknowledging this just like last week when we read Isaiah 40, remember? I mean, Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord seated on the throne. And he's like, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I love among a people that have unclean lips. The prophets recognized what God said he would do, and they recognized and admitted, we have sinned individually and corporately. When rebellion, disobedience is seen in the nation of Israel. And so in his prayer, he is correct in these truths of God, and yet it leads us to verse 24 and 25, he questions God. Look at the third point. Why, God? Help me understand. You ever asked that before? You ever said, Lord, I do not understand what you're doing. I don't know why you did this. I need understanding. Again, back to where we started at the beginning. Um, some of us asked the question, God, you're all powerful. Why? Why or why not? And it is good to ask questions and to read God's word and seek understanding. The book of Proverbs tells us to do that. But we must also guard that our questioning of God is not really a judgment of God. Because a lot of times the things we ask are really we're trying to make a statement. But we want to put it in a question I'm really judging God. Look at verses 24 and 25 in Jeremiah 32. It says, 
Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it, and because of the sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Do you understand the questions he's asking? He's in prison in the city. Chaldeans are ready to destroy the city. God has said, go buy some land. A relative says, hey, I'm going to sell this land over here. He buys it. Let's get some witnesses, sign all the documents, do this. And he's like, God, why are you doing this now when you're getting ready to wipe out your people? This does not make sense, really, in one sense, is what he is asking. So he's trying to understand, help me, God, understand why you are doing what you're doing by showing your power in these things. So therefore, it's not wrong for us to ask God questions, but we must guard the questions that we ask that we are not declaring judgment on God. God takes no offense in the questions of his understanding of his word, but when we judge him, it's a great offense against God. Who are we to judge God? Who are we to say, God, I do not like your plan. God, this is wrong. I don't see it this way in scripture, and so I think you're wrong, God. It's like we have a list of things that we present as questions, which is really, God, why didn't you do this? My plan is better. You did not show your power, and on and on and on it goes. Here's an assignment for you this week. Turn to Psalm 77. We're not going to read it, but I'm going to point out a couple of things to you. I'll read a couple of verses from it. Psalm 77. Here is your assignment. I want you, aside from reading every book in the Bible this week, <laughs> to read Psalm 77. In Psalm 77, specifically, I'll give you something to look at here. In verses 7 through 9, there's some questions asked against God. In verse 7, it says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? And we would say like, well, no. But people ask these questions when they run into trouble in life. And your assignment is to go and read all of Psalm 77 and look at those three verses and then read verses 10 through 20. Because 10 through 20 is an answer to the questions. And all that Asaph is writing there is a declaration of who God is and his glorious display of his power. So when we have those questions that we want to ask of God, why aren't you doing this? Why did you do it that way? We need to always go back and read Scripture, which points us to God and why He does what He does. We don't understand, as we're going to read next week in, in Romans chapter 11, we don't understand even the mind of God. The Christian can understand the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we just do not understand why God does what he does. We just know that all he does is according to his holy will. And he accomplishes all of it. <clears throat> read Psalm 77. Read those questions. Look at verses 10 through 20. Maybe you need to write down what are the glorious works that is declared in that psalm that answer those questions that are being asked. <clears throat> and I think that some of us, or all of us, these things are beneficial because we live in a fallen world. We battle with sin. We hear things being stated in this world that aren't correct. And we have the tendency in our sinfulness to believe some of these things which are not Scripture and to doubt God and His omnipotence. Well, look at verses 26 through 27. <clears throat> As we, again, are holding to this truth that God is omnipotent, that none of his plans can be stopped. His hand cannot be stopped from doing. You know, it's like, it's, it's like you can't uh, have some type of power to stop God to do what he's going to do that he set out to do. God then now, in verses 26 and 27, responds to Jeremiah's prayer and he begins with verse 17 in what Jeremiah declares. 
and says, there's nothing uh, impossible. There's nothing too hard for you. And so look at verse 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? He turns into a question. A rhetorical question, which I pray you already know the answer to. Jeremiah already knows the answer to, but that's how God begins his answer to Jeremiah's questions and his prayer. And then he goes in, if you read the rest of the chapter, and explains why he's done what he's done and what he's going to do, and how even though the nation of Israel, over time, whenever they rebelled and they were they were taken over by the enemy, God still restored them and brought them back to a relationship in which buy the land, Jeremiah, because one day I am going to do a restoration. But it reminded me of a few other passages of text is what Jesus says. God says as he speaks to Jeremiah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis chapter 18, verse 14 says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. God was speaking to Abraham and said, look, hey, even though in your old age, even though you can't have a kid, even though you've been told you will, next year, you're gonna, I'm going to be back here, and you're going to have a child. And what did Sarah do? She laughed about it. What did Abraham do? This is crazy. It says, is anything too hard for the Lord? But stop for a minute and think about it. I would say that some of us have things that we think in the back of our mind that God really can't do. Those are those doubts that we need to bring to Scripture and read, Holy Spirit, help me to be assured from Scripture that you are all-powerful and will do everything that you say. Matthew chapter 19, there's a guy who comes to Jesus, a rich young ruler, and he comes and he wants to follow him. Jesus says, do this, sell that, whatever. And then they get to this point where he says um, uh, how impossible it is to be saved. And the disciples go, well, who could be saved? And he says in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Salvation is possible by God. And the work of Christ. Mankind cannot do anything to save themselves. And that's a good thing. Because we just need to give thanks that he would do that work. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. But yet we run into some things at times which theologians call vain curiosity. And I'm sorry if you've ever asked these. They're just dumb questions. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And again, if you've thought this, I'm not trying to mock you. I'm trying to tell you the truth that it's a ridiculous question. That it's like, I was listening to guys last week. He was talking about uh, someone talking about, I can't remember if I mixed up, like, hey, can God make triangles that are squares or round or round circles? I mean, it's just all this vain curiosity questions which are like, these are ridiculous. But yet people in our world ask them because of the rebelliousness of their hearts and they're not willing to give glory to God and his all that he's, that he's infinitely holy, that he's infinitely powerful, that he's infinite in all of his ways. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In light of questions that would people would ask of those things, I will say this. Don't gas. There are things that God cannot do. And it was, <gasps> what are you saying, Pastor? Some of you want to run out the door. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Listen to this, for he cannot deny himself. 
You need to circle that, highlight that, underline 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13, specifically there in the verse 13. God cannot deny who he is. He cannot deny his character, his attributes, who he is. He cannot do something opposite of who he is and what Scripture teaches us. And so if he is infinitely and perfectly holy, God cannot sin. He cannot do evil. He cannot be wicked. And that should help the person who asks the questions, why would God let that wicked person do this and that and whatever? Is God sinning when he does those things? No. He is set apart, perfectly holy. There is sin that happens in this world. And even the sin that happened, God uses it in his plans for his glory. But he cannot sin. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says this, God cannot lie. Hebrews 6 18 says it is impossible for God to lie. God never lies. He cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. He is the truth. James chapter 1 13, God cannot be tempted with evil and he does not tempt us with evil to sin. It's a wonderful thing. When you read of the gods of this world that people believe in, the mythology and the things, the gods tempt the people to sin. God cannot and will not. God cannot act in a way that is outside of the bounds of the truth of the word of God, which tells us of his attributes. <clears throat> so we come to summarize this part. <clears throat> and God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And we looked at this fact that God's omnipotence, his, uh, that he is all powerful, is that he does fulfill all of his holy will. I've thrown out things that you may go, oh, that, that is, I've questioned God these things. But really, the reality and the question we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in this moment, every time there's preaching and teaching the Word of God is, Holy Spirit, how do I apply this? How do I live this today from this moment on? God, I've already known this truth. Or I just had my eyes open to something new. Well, here's some things to think and reflect upon. Are you today fearful and troubled? Are you worried about something that may or may not happen in the future? Or do you have great fear that someone's, whatever it may be, trouble, anxiety, fear? I mean, think of all the trouble in our world. I would say that God's omnipotence is something that should bring great peace in the moment of all of your troubles. Because if you didn't know this, God is more powerful than any problem in your life. How many of you, and I want you to raise your hand so you can see, how many of you had trouble in your life? How many of you had problems in your life? Anyone? I raised both hands. It's a reality of a fallen world. And if you know that God is omnipotent, that he's in charge of all these things, and whatever he has set out in his holy will, he will accomplish, you can take a deep breath in the moments of the trouble and go, okay, Lord, you're in charge. I need help right now. I need you to reassure me. And the reassurance comes from reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit teaching you through the word of God. God is bigger than any and every single problem that you will ever have. And I want to turn to one last passage. Zephaniah. It's right uh, to the left of the book of Matthew. Maybe you have or have not even heard of Zephaniah before. A short little three-chapter <clears throat> book. And it says this. It's a wonderful, glorious verse. Zephaniah 3.17. Man, I love hearing the pages turn. I wish I could hear people doing this with their phones or whatever. Um, Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. <clears throat> 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Praise God. I pray that in the midst of your troubles, you would know that God, who is all-powerful, is in your midst. And if the universe cannot go out of control because he holds it together, your life that feels out of control at the moment, you need to be reminded that he is over your life and he is in control of your life and his will will be accomplished in your life. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God's infinite power is our ultimate peace. God's infinite power is our ultimate peace. We are safe under his wings. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing will stop his hand. There is, let me just say this, there's no prayer request that's too difficult for him. And at the same time, he will accomplish his will. So he will answer your prayer yes, either specifically the way you ask or a different way. And he will answer your prayer requests no. But in your prayer requests, know that he does listen to his people And he does answer. As the worship team comes forward. Psalm 24, 8 says this. Who is the king of glory? The Lord. Strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. If you have been in, come into this place today and you are far from the Lord and you have lived if rejecting Him as Lord and Savior today is a day of salvation. You've heard the gospel preached to you. So your response is to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that He died on the cross in your place for your sins by His blood shed that you can be forgiven and that there is an empty tomb because on the third day He rose from life to death and your faith in Him saves you. So I could tell you to pray a prayer, but my prayer to tell you to pray is not going to be anything like you calling out and saying, Lord, would you save me today? I am a sinner in need of your saving power. And for all who are in Christ, for all who are found in Him today, lay your troubles before an all-powerful God who knows your trouble before it is even something you face, and He answers your prayer because He loves you as one of His own.